This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hi, everybody. If you're not depressed that the Philadelphia Phillies won the National League pennant, well, pull up a chair. Because this edition of Rico Bronia will bring a tear to your eye. And not a good tear, not a happy tear, a sad tear. But I did think that this discussion, this podcast, was necessary. Because the New York Mets concluded the 2022 season with something that doesn't happen all that often. And that is losing your final game of a season and that loss being the thing that ends your year. This is a franchise that's been around since 1962. But that has only happened 11 times. Now, most of the time that happens in the playoffs, you lose a series, whether it's the World Series or the NLCS or in this case, a wild card series, that loss sends you home. But there have been a few occasions, as you may recall, where the last game of the regular season ended the Mets season. So in totality, it's happened 11 times. And today on Rico Bronia, we go through all of them. Because, hey, if you're sad about baseball, why not get sadder? Uh, I didn't look at a lot of the tweets I got back when I brought this up and said, hey, of the 11 times the Mets season ended on the final day of the season, whether in the playoffs or the regular season, which one was the worst or which one's the most painful? I did see quite a few responses that said, hey, Evan, why are you trying to ruin my Saturday morning? I did get a lot of that. And I understand. I apologize. Sometimes thinking about your most painful sports memories is actually cathartic. And maybe by the end of this podcast, you'll feel less depressed about what we saw a few weeks ago to conclude the 2022 season. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be more depressed. I can't guarantee anything, but I will lay it out this way. It's happened 11 times. Nine of those times were in my lifetime. There are two occasions that occurred, one before I was even born, and one when I was too young to fully understand baseball. I don't want to ignore those moments in Met history, but I want to acknowledge that I never thought it was fair for me to rank them because I'd only be talking about them in the context of history and not in the context of how I personally felt. Now, obviously, you may be listening. You may be 30 years old. You may not remember some of the ones I'm going to bring up from the late 90s. Totally understand. So you'll get to experience it through the eyes of me, Pete Hoffman, and maybe many on Twitter. But I do want to acknowledge that history matters. And the New York Mets did lose a Game 7 of the World Series in 1973. It's a game I went back and watched during the pandemic. And here's the ultimate first guess. 
Is it considered a first guess if I'm criticizing something many, many years after it happened? I'm not sure. But I watched the game during the pandemic. And obviously, I know about the controversy. So this is for our older listeners. And for those that aren't aware of it, I'll give you an explanation. The Mets snuck into the postseason with fewer wins that year than even the Philadelphia Phillies this year. The Phillies won 87 games this year. The New York Mets in 1973 won fewer than that. In fact, they won five fewer than that. But they happen to win the National League East on the last day of the season. So it's the opposite of this podcast. Uh, And then they played a dynasty or at least a burgeoning dynasty in the big red machine, Cincinnati Reds. They were huge underdogs and they beat them. They beat them in five. Then they took on a real living, breathing dynasty in the Oakland Athletics who would be in the midst of their three-peat of winning world championships. So obviously the Mets, only four years removed from winning their first World Series in 1969, they were going up against teams far superior to them. But they did go back to Oakland needing one win to win a championship. They went back to Oakland, much like the Knicks went back to Houston in 1994, only needing to win once, much like the Yankees went back to Houston in 2017, just needing to win once, much like the Red Sox came back to Shea Stadium in 1986, just needing to win once. And Yogi Berra made a controversial decision. He decided to pitch Tom Seaver in game six instead of George Stone, and that left John Matlack pitching game seven against the ace. So here's my ultimate first or second guess. The Mets were losing that game by three runs, and they had the tying run at the plate in the top of the ninth inning, and the batter was Wayne Garrett. Now, the Mets were a light-hitting team, but they had a guy on their bench who had not played in a couple of days. You may have heard of him. His name was Willie Mays. And even though Willie Mays was cooked, I admit that, I say this many years later, you're in Oakland, right? You know, a stone's throw away from San Francisco. You have the greatest living player in the history of your sport on your bench. Wayne Garrett ain't going to confuse anybody with Ty Cobb. The tying runs at the plate. Wouldn't you think maybe Willie Mays has one piece of magic left in his bat? So that's my first guess. Willie Mays was not sent up as a pinch hitter. Wayne Garrett popped up. The Mets lost game seven of the World Series. I know for a lot of older Met fans, that one's painful, but I heard this from my dad, and I think Howie Rose may have mentioned this too. They were such underdogs. And while it's a tough World Series to lose, they also had won four years earlier. So I assume in theory that makes it a little bit easier, but... Look, they did end their season by losing Game 7 of the World Series. There's no other game on this list that's going to match that. There's a couple of Game 5s of the World Series. There's a couple of Game 7s of the NLCS, but there's no Game 7 of the World Series. The other one I don't recall, I was only 5, was Game 7 of the 88 NLCS, in which they got blown out. Ronnie Darling got bombed in Game 7 after the Mets had won a Game 6 in L.A., the series had really turned on the Mike Sosha home run in game four. Then they lost game five. They went back to L.A. down 3-2. And we always hear about the Mets own them in the regular season. Look, I think we've learned as fans over the years, what the hell does that mean? Owning a team in the regular season doesn't mean a damn thing. What bothers me looking back on that, and the same goes for 86, is that the Mets had a better record than the Dodgers in 1988 by about six games. They had a better record by far than the Astros in 86, yet they didn't have home field advantage in the league championship series. And I guess what they did back then 
how effed up is this, is they alternated based on division. Much like they used to alternate World Series home home field advantage by league, they would alternate home field advantage in the LCS by effing division. How does that make any goddamn sense? Does that change the results of the 88 NLCS? I'm not saying it does. I have no idea if it does. And then do they beat the A's in the World Series? I have no idea. But I know that that doesn't make sense. So they ended up getting blown out. And uh, one comparison I heard, I know Beningo said this uh, to me personally, and I, I think he said it on the air with Tiki and Tierney. Hoffman would be able to tell you that the way this season ended in 2022, the slow death of game three against Joe Musgrove had similarities to the way the Mets lost game seven of the Dodgers, where the game was never in doubt. You know, Oral Hershiser was dominating. The Mets gave up a bunch of runs early. There was no question they were going to lose that game. But I also wonder, and this is why I'm not ranking it, I'm commenting on it. It was two years removed from winning a World Series. Winning a World Series is foreign to me. It's foreign to Hoffman. And I would say it's foreign to about 70% of the audience. If you're under the age of 40, you don't know what it's like to win a World Series. So I always wondered, I know Joe Beningo would disagree with me, but I've always wondered, does winning the World Series two years earlier make it a tad easier to deal with? A tad? I don't know. So I wanted to put those two games. I wanted to give him credit. I wanted to mention it. I want to comment on it, at least my perspective from a historical standpoint. But I am not going to rank them in the nine other games that closed out the Mets season because I didn't get to experience it. Though, Hoffman, you're really old. You don't remember 1988? Were you too young for that? No, I was too young. I was... First of all, really old. I'm a year older than you, dude. Come <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you're still in the 30s. I know it's nice. You look a little bit younger. You have less gray hair than I do. But uh, no, I do not remember 88 that way. Not not in that way. Was there a lot like, of, because I went through some of the responses we got to that tweet about these 11 losses. Was there a lot of 88 and 73 mixed in there? 88 more than 73. A lot of people, like some people like, wow, I was there for 73. It was gut-wrenching. Um a lot more of 88, again, focused on the social game, the social home run in game four. Uh, that really kind of just kind of started the trend of that the series was basically over after that. Um, but the 88 had a lot of mentions. I don't think it was the lead, though. I think there's one game, one one specific game that was what led the charge. Well, yes, and I, and I think that's very obvious. Howie Rose, the great Howie Rose, responded to this tweet, and I thought he did it in a very... I guess, well-representative way of the way a lot of Met fans feel. And that's, quote, here are my top three. 2006, 2006, and 2006. And he did mention 1988 gets honorable mention. Uh, Okay, so I think we should start with 2006. It is number one on my list. I think it's number one on most people's list. I assume, Pete, it's number one on your list, the pain of losing in 2006. I... We could disagree about it in a second. Let's go down the road, but it's number two on my list. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. we may end up in the same place on this. It wasn't number one on my list till recently. And the reason I say that is I believe that sometimes the way you view games and the way you view losses and even wins can change. Uh, and i give you the, the best example I can come up with, and it's not us, but it's Red Sox fans. The way they lost Game 7 to the Yankees in 2003, blowing the lead with Pedro on the mound, Grady Little keeping him in too long, the bloopers in that inning, and then obviously Aaron Boone hitting the game-winning home run, is as bad a loss as you could think of. 
But I would venture to say that a year later, that loss isn't as painful because they were able to erase it immediately by coming back on the Yankees from 3-0 down. So that's an example, an extreme example of a game in the moment, in the moment, killing your stomach and killing your soul. But then a year later, you look back on it and say, well, actually, that's pretty cool now that I think about it, because maybe it led to what happened in 2004. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So 2006 is the opposite for me. When I left Shea Stadium that night, and everything about that game is still very firm in my mind, uh, even something people forget, which I'll go through real quick. But when I left that building that night, I was devastated, like we all were. Uh, I was stunned, like we all were. But I was hopeful. That was the death of my hope, by the way. I walked out of Shea Stadium that night thinking, as bad as all of this is, we will be back. You know, David Wright is young. Jose Reyes is young. Carlos Beltran isn't going anywhere. Maybe we discovered something with Oliver Perez and John Maine. This bullpen is awesome. Dwaner Sanchez will be back next year after the cab accident. Like, I, and I'm not saying I had a good night that night. I didn't. I was on the fan that night, one of my early FA and overnight shows. So I had to talk about it for four hours. So I'm not telling you I was, like excited. I wasn't. I was depressed. We all were depressed. But I left Shea Stadium in that silence, that eerie silence, with a hope that we were about to see great things. And so I would be lying to you if I said in the moment that hurt me more than, and I could, I could actually name about five games. Did that hurt me more than 2000? No. I left Shea Stadium with the effing Yankees winning the World Series. I mean, come on. Really? I cried myself to sleep when Kenny Rogers walked Andrew Jones in 1999. When Shea Stadium closed down and the Mets are losing 162 again? Like, those moments in when it happened were worse than 2006. And that may sound sacrilegious to people saying, come on, this is game seven of the NLCS. We were the clear best team. We lost to a crappy Cardinal team. Of course, no, no. I agree with all that. But I think in those other cases, there was a depression of, we're done. And when I walked out of Shea Stadium that night, there was a seed of hope that we weren't done. And, and here's how impactful that moment is. And bear with me, because I know it's Nets related. When I left the Durant overtime game seven game, you know, game tying three, foot on the line, air ball at the end, of it, you know what happened. I was beyond depressed because I kept thinking about 06. I swear to God. It wasn't just the Nets. It wasn't just Durant. It wasn't just the injuries. It wasn't just how close they were. I couldn't shake the feeling of, I don't know if I'm going to be back. And that's why anyone who told me during that offseason, oh, but Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant. And by the way, how prophetic was I? They weren't back. They haven't been back. But 06 stuck with me because I now know what happened. They didn't make the playoffs in 07 08. They choked. And they never got back to the playoffs until 2015. So. I agree it's number one. I'm with Howie Rose. I'm with most of the audience. But it's different 
because it wasn't number one, let's say, nine years ago. It's gotten worse as time has gone on. This is the kind of game I get more angry about as time moves away. Every time the Andy Chavez's catch is shown, I get pissed off. By the way, the, the quick uh, caveat from that game that people forget. So it's game seven of the NLCS. Oliver Perez is pitching on three days rest. He had like a six ERA during the regular season. We have no faith in Oliver Perez, but they have no other option. They had no one else to pitch. It was long before the days of the opener. So they couldn't just say, hey, um, let's start Darren Oliver and, and do a bullpen day. Like that wasn't, we should have, but that wasn't an option. In the first inning with two outs and nobody on, Albert Pujols had a pop up to first base and Carlos Delgado dropped it. And I never forget that moment. I was like, we're dead. Like, holy crap. He just dropped a pop up. And then Oliver Perez, cool, calm customer that he was. I got the final out of the first inning. Met scored a run in the bottom of the first inning against that piece of crap. Jeff Supan, who still haunts my dreams. Uh, then the Cardinals quickly tied the game. And then we're stuck in this 1-1 dog fight until obviously Yachty hits the two-run home run. And uh, still bothers me that Billy Wagner didn't come out for the ninth inning because Aaron Hammond pitched a clean eighth. And we didn't trust Billy Wagner in a tie game at home. Why else wasn't he pitching? We kept thinking about game two. And so Taguchi. So there's a lot of aspects of this game that was painful. And then just the shock of Beltron striking out and the Reyes line drive off the bat, I thought was going to split the alley. And then there, there's Jim Edmonds showing up to Willie Randolph going for it all with Cliff Floyd when he probably should have sent up Tom Glavin to just lay down a bunt, second and third, one out top of the order. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. And so even when you think about all those moments – I think it only reaffirms that it is the number one to me worst ending to a season in the history of this franchise. So the that whole series, the confidence level going into that game seven, I think I told you the story once. I, do, I used to work K-Rock, so I told you I worked with Tom Chiasano, who was the GM for Howard Stern. If anybody remembers Howard Stern, I right. remember Howard Stern, but for K-Rock days, Tom Chiasano was the GM. And he asked me, he's like, listen, Pete, because Chiasano's a big Mets fan too. He goes, at the, this point in time, we're promoting our new station. It's, it's uh, Great Rock Period or Free FM, whatever it is. It's Free FM, it is actually 2006, obviously. He's like, we have X amount of money left for this budget for the rest of this year. We could put it towards the TV and put a nice promo right after the Yankee uh, Mets game, game seven. What do you think? But then we're done with, with, with money the rest of the year. I go, Tom, we're winning. There's no doubt. Put it up there. Everyone's going to see it. I'm going to see it. It's going to be awesome. Let's freaking go. And the moment Beltran struck out, I walked out of where I was. I never looked back at the TV. I have no idea if the promo even ran. And all I thought about was, wow, I screwed Tom. I mean, on top of the fact that we screwed each other. But, like, I was so – like I, I, the thing that hurts about this game, and still, it for me, it's not the number one, but it's second because – where I feel like the Mets could have gone if they made it to the World Series, I think they would have easily beat the Detroit Tigers and led to a, a World Series, which is what the the Cardinals ended up getting. And that's kind of where it's like it, you you feel like this team had more to give, and that's why it hurt so much. The way it ended, it was it was devastating. Yeah, I, I think there's a a belief amongst all of us, right or wrong, because there's no way to prove it, that we were going to win the World Series. That 
you win that game, Beltron splits the alley, and we win that game, we're smoking the Detroit Tigers. And look, who the hell knows? I mean, we we could assume it. I know the Tigers kind of fell victim to what the Mets fell victim to in 2015 of having too much off time before a World Series started. But it's not just that. It's also, you say, what it could have led to. I kind of think we don't collapse in 07. We don't collapse in 08. That the DNA of this team maybe is different. That a defending world champion that just, you know, accomplished as much as they did in 2006 doesn't collapse down the stretch of the season in 2007. So I'm not telling you they're a dynasty. I think that's going too far. But are they a perennial playoff team for a bunch of years? And maybe we view things differently. I I don't think that's crazy to say because that loss in a lot of ways is more than just that season. It's what it led to and how rotten that team turned out to be, which is crazy because we all love that team in 2006. Everybody was head over heels in love with that team. But by the middle of 07, or really the middle of 08, and Willie Randolph's fired, everybody started hating the team. And people started hating everybody. I hate Delgado. I don't like Reyes. David Wright, I guess, always seemed to be above it. But we turned on them. And look, rightfully so, considering the results of what happened the next few years. But I think this game gets worse as time goes on because of what's happened since. What happened to the team in the immediate aftermath of that season and obviously just not winning anything. I mean, yeah, they went to the World Series in 2015, and that's great, but there hasn't been a championship. And 2006 may be the biggest what if, maybe even more so than 88, because, look, I know the Mets own the Dodgers in 88. But when you look at the final standings, the Mets were six games better. The Dodgers didn't win 82 games. It was six games better. The Cardinals sucked. The, the Mets were how many games better? 17 games better? 15 games better? Something absurd. Like, the Mets were so far and away the best team in the National League that year. By a lot. To walk away with nothing. Devastating. Well, didn't the Cardinals, like, they limped into the playoffs. They won their division. They were, what, two games over 500? I think they won 83 games that year, whatever the number was. Yeah, 83, 83, and, uh... and, 83 and 81. And yeah, they got they got lucky to get into that spot. And that, right, you're 100% right. That's what pissed me off. It's like, this is an easy, this should be an easy series. This should be an easy win. And nothing is easy in life. And they blew Hello, it multiple times. More than just this game seven. They blew game two, obviously. 83 and 78 officially, by the way. Um, they blew game two. I'm still pissed at Tommy Glavin for basically blowing game five, two, two, even series. The Mets handed him a lead. He couldn't wait to give it back. And then obviously everything that happened in game seven, Andy makes the incredible catch. Scott Rowland, the next inning makes an error. Scott Rowland, the greatest defensive third baseman of our generation makes a brutal error to set up second and third and one out and they can't score. Because Valentin is striking out on pitching the dirt, and Indy Chavez is hitting a weak fly ball to center field. So, so many aspects of it. And one last thing before we move on to other games, because we could do a whole podcast about this game. I talk about what it led to for the Mets and the depression of what it led to for us. It led to a Hall of Fame career and a borderline Hall of Fame career. Yadier Molina was a 212 hitting catcher at the time. Like, if you remember who he was in that moment, he was an obscure, young, light-hitting catcher. He wasn't a household name at that point. 
that home run certainly helped elevate him and then put together a great career. I've got nothing but respect for the baseball player that is Yadi Molina. To me, he's a Hall of Famer. Adam Wainwright, let's get to him. Adam Wainwright is a minor league prospect. They acquired him from Atlanta. I think it was for J.D. Drew, if I'm not mistaken. And he was filling in at closer because Jason Isringhausen got hurt. So instead of Wainwright pitching the ninth in an alternate universe, Jason Isringhausen's pitching the ninth. And I don't know why. I just think Beltran goes deep for some reason. But Adam Wainwright is a young prospect who's thrown into the role of closing games in the playoffs. And his nasty curveball is what freezes Beltron. And then he goes on, and I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he goes on and has a stellar major league career. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, none of that before that game. So that game elevates them, kind of pushes them in the direction of the great careers they had. So we kick it off with the main event. To me, the clear number one, and that is game number seven of the 2006 NLCS. 